coming up on the Sark Fighter Podcast. Yeah, I asked him, am I going to need a heart transplant? His answer was, if, if I'm a betting man, yes, you, you will eventually need one. Ryan Norenberg has sarcoidosis in his heart, and it's serious. But he has found some answers that many Sark fighters are searching for by using CBD or cannabis oil and changing his diet to protect his gut. There's thought and evidence that, you know, a gut imbalance can, can lead to autoimmune issues. Coming up. Ryan will talk about his heart condition and how the application of functional medicine working on bacteria in the gut and a wee bit of CBD oil have changed his life for the better. This is the Sark Fighter Podcast, living with sarcoidosis and other rare diseases. Here's your host, John Carlin. Hello and welcome. This is episode 27 of the Sark Fighter Podcast. I'm your host, John Carlin. The Sark Fighter Podcast is brought to you in part by a grant from A-Tire Pharma, and I'll have an update on their research in uh, just a couple of minutes here. The official Sark Fighter song is called Zombie, and it's by the White Hot Lizards, based in Alberta, Canada, and in particular, Mark Steyer, who's a member of that band. He is a fellow Sark fighter, and he was a hockey player, and because of sarcoidosis, he's not been able to continue, and I interviewed Mark. It's in episode 12. You can listen to it. I've just heard from him recently, and he is uh, he's doing quite well, actually. So um, anyway, if you want to hear more about the man behind the music, listen to the interview with Mark Steyer, and you need to listen to the lyrics of that song because they really do tell many people's sarcoidosis story. Now, uh, proceeds from the song, by the way, are donated to the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research. I call this the Sark Fighter Podcast because I'm fighting Sark, and so are you, uh, whether you're a caregiver, whether you're a patient, whether you are a researcher, and I've heard from all of the above uh, since we started this podcast just about going on one year ago as I sit here recording today in January of 2021. So this is a place where we all gather. So many Sark uh, fighters feel like they're all alone. There's about 200,000 of us scattered across the United States and, and different countries around the world. And when I look at the, uh, the data that comes from Podbean, I see that we do have listeners in the UK and in Australia, and that just tickles me to death in some other countries as well. Um, but there is a reason to hope, and that's one of the things we try to focus on here. We listen to people's stories. We listen about how Sark has changed their life, but also how they uh, have been able to find a way to prevail and continue and continue to uh, to live uh, as close to a normal life as possible. And I do release a new episode every other Monday, and man, I can tell from my data that when we release a new episode, uh, the number of people who download that day goes way up. So I do, do appreciate the fact that people are looking forward to the next podcast and that uh, and that you are hitting it right when it comes out. So that's, uh, that's every other Monday is the release. And if you are new to sarcoidosis 
and you're trying to figure out what's going on with you, you might want to consider listening to Dr. Simon Hart in episode two. He goes over basically sarcoidosis 101, talks about everything that uh, that is sort of behind sarcoidosis and what it is and what's causing it to the extent that we know. And so listen to episode two. If you want to know more about me and my background and my my Sark story, my battle, episode one. Uh, and if you want to know more about the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research and how it came into being, it was uh, 20 years ago. Listen to episode 11 with the founders, Andrea and Andrea, excuse me, and Redding Wilson. And then uh, also, I will mention that late in 2020, FSR, and I'm mentioning FSR a lot, the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research, because I'm a volunteer with that organization. And uh, I work as an advocate. Basically, my work doing this podcast is is my advocate work in a nutshell. Uh, and I'm also serving on the uh, patient advisory committee where they're they're trying to integrate um, what what they do and they want patient advice on how they do it, how they reach out to patients, how they work with doctors and so forth. And and I, th- I think a little bit of research suggested that they were not hearing the patient voice loudly enough. So they've put together a group of people and I'm fortunate enough to have been uh, selected as one of those people. So um, that's my connection to FSR. And they have a new CEO uh, named Mary McGowan. And if you'd like to meet her, it's in episode 22. She talks about her background in the healthcare space and nonprofits. And she is planning to take FSR to new and greater places. And so if you want to hear uh, hear Mary's story, that's in episode 22. And then I did mention that Atire Pharma is a presenting sponsor for the podcast. So I would so much appreciate that. Uh, And that is one of the reasons for hope. It's one of the areas we can all look at as they're advancing a drug that is showing great potential in treating sarcoidosis. And in episode 17, you can listen to ATIRE's CEO, Sanjay Shukla, but they are reaching the next phase of the trials with the drug. Uh, Typically, with any drug, there are three phases. You probably have learned more about this because of COVID-19, where you heard how the vaccines were rushed through all these different phases and trials and so forth. Uh, That's very rare. I think in the case of COVID-19, it needed to happen. Uh, But I did receive an email from ATIRE telling me that they expect to report some findings of the most recent phase in the third quarter of 2021. So when I hear more from them, you will be the first to hear about it here. Now, if there's one thing that I have heard time and time again as as we look forward to today's interview, uh, and I have felt this myself, it's this notion that there's nothing you can do to fight back once you find out you have sarcoidosis. You know, you can go to the doctor, of course, and they can give you prednisone and they can give you that whole laundry list of medications that, that we talk about here. But I've been frustrated because for me, it's not like recovering from an injury where I can be, you know, gung-ho with my physical therapist. If they tell me to do, you know, an exercise 20 times, well, I'm going to do it 25 times. I, you know, I want to do whatever it takes. And there's nothing anybody can tell you about SARC that you can try harder. But again, I come from a background and and a lot of the folks that I've interviewed come from backgrounds where they like to do physical activity. So I've been trained, I've trained for marathons and century bike rides where you ride 100 miles in a single ride. And, you know, I can go out there and I can push myself and I can dedicate myself to those goals and, and ultimately 
get there, but there doesn't seem to be anything you can do with Sark through your own sheer will and determination to defeat this thing. And today's guest says, well, wait a minute, there actually is something you can do. Ryan Norenberg is, um, he has cardiac Sark, and you're going to hear him talk about how as it got worse and worse, and of course at first he didn't know what it was, but he just couldn't do everyday things, couldn't carry the luggage in from the car without being winded and that type of thing, and eventually he was diagnosed, and, and, and he does a great job sort of giving us a step-by-step description of his story. But then once he found out he had Sark, he explored some avenues that I think people would like to do. I've heard it over and over from people I've interviewed here on the show and through other SARC patients that I've talked to through FSR. Um, but people want to do this, but you can't get a clear direction on how to do it. There, there really aren't any clear answers, and it's hard to know if you're on track or maybe just kind of blindly following something that sort of sounds like a good idea, like, hmm, maybe I'll go gluten-free because, you know, I'm eating too much wheat or wheat-related things, and maybe that's what's making my body flare up or swell or making me feel uncomfortable or, you know, whatever it is. But you don't really know, right? You just don't know. So now enter the field of what's called functional medicine, where the doctor looks at your whole body and, and can look at a diet that achieves balance and in particular in your gut, in your intestines. And Ryan went to a functional medicine doctor at the Cleveland Clinic, um, looking at uh, things like uh, the microbiome. You're going to hear him talk about that. And, you, and you'll hear him talk about how agricultural diets have sort of evolved over the last 10,000 years and how maybe some of our bodies just aren't ready for all the wheat and all the corn and and these different things. And as a result, uh, we re- sort of reach this imbalance and and you can get some of that balance back. Maybe you can get all of it back. I, mean, I, I don't really know. Um, but Ryan has had a great deal of success and his wife, who I'll talk about later, um, has become a certified holistic nutritionist and she has been advising him as well as his functional medicine doctor and so forth and so on. So he's going to talk about that today. And then the reason I think I like this is because, okay, there's another reason for hope. And it's a little bit more of a course that we can look at or that you can listen to and see where somebody has had some success with it, right? So uh, he's going to talk about that. And then Ryan also has started taking CBD oil. That's the oil that comes from the marijuana plant from cannabis. It's not something that makes you high, um, but it does give a lot of people relief in many different ways. And he's doing it and he's willing to talk about it. And it's the first time that he's talked about it publicly in a forum such as this. So it's been very brave of him to come on and do this. And and I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Um, I can tell you that I'm not, I'm not endorsing any of this. Uh, I don't know enough about it, but I have been asking for people to come forward and talk about their own experiences. And Ryan has an interesting story and you should listen and make your own judgment 
talk to people, maybe seek out a functional medicine doctor. If, uh, if what you hear sounds like something that is appealing to you with respect to your situation. So all of that is coming up. My interview with Ryan Norenberg right after this. I feel like a zombie Just feeding at stumbling Hi, I hope you're enjoying the Sark Fighter Podcast. You may be wondering, what can I do to help? How can I be a part of the sarcoidosis solution? It's simple. Make a donation to KISS. Kick in to stop sarcoidosis. 100% of the money goes to the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research. Look for a link in the show notes of the Sark Fighter Podcast. Welcome back to the Sark Fighter podcast. And joining me now is Ryan Norenberg. He's in Pensacola, Florida. And Ryan has had a great deal of success in treating his Sark condition with both uh, dietary changes and with CBD. And we're going to talk about both of those today. So, uh, Ryan, thank you and welcome to the Sark Fighter podcast. Hi, John. Thank you for having me. So um, let's let's get into your sarcoidosis story first of all before we talk about some of the things that, that you've done that I know a lot of folks, myself included, are considering. Um, how did you how did Sark first present to you, and and what is your ongoing battle with sarcoidosis? So it it all started in 2014. I was 37 years old at the time. Uh, late, I would say late late summer, early fall. I started having symptoms that at the time I didn't realize were symptoms, but they're, they're similar to, you know, what your, your other cardiac sarcoid guests have talked about lightheadedness um, being the the main one. And it, you know, just kept happening and and getting worse. Um, You know, there was a a trip my wife and I took to the North Georgia mountains um, in, in September, we, we were about to have a baby in November and we wanted to get a one last trip out of the way uh, before I had to travel out of the country for a week or two. Uh, so we were, we were doing that. And as I was carrying our suitcases back in the house, uh, you know, I, I about passed out, you know, and these aren't huge suitcases. I, I just carried three or four of them in and uh, man, hands on the knees, bent over, uh, just about to black out. And I was like, that, that's weird. Um, I had to go to kind of, it was a Sunday night. I had to go to a, a work dinner with some Brazilian guests that we had in town. We were doing a, a project in Brazil. They were doing some training here. And then the following week I was going down there to, to Brazil to, to work with them. And so that, that night uh, I had gotten back and was uh, watching a Monday night football game and my saints were losing. And I was sitting on the couch and my heart started racing. And I was like, oh, yeah, I don't like losing, but it's not that bad. I, <laughs> okay. I thought I was just nervous. And right. um, that, that's the first time I'd noticed, uh, you know, anything with the heart. And I, I really didn't think much of it. I, in hindsight, I kind of remember that happening. The next day I'm at work, you know, going upstairs, uh, 
about to pass out again. I was like, this, this is really weird. I, I want, and this had been going on a little bit, even before the Georgia trip. I remember playing in a kickball league late that summer. It was just an adult beer league kickball thing. Sure. Running the bases, you know, sprinting from second to home. And, and it about wiped me out. You know, I was, I was panting and uh, lightheaded and dizzy. So in, in hindsight, I kind of remember all of these things. Anyway, uh, that day at work, I was like, I, maybe I have the flu. Maybe, you know, I need to go see a doctor before I go to Brazil. I don't want to get sick down there. So uh, I couldn't get into the doctor. And, and so I, I just left and went, maybe I need to eat something. I went to, to go get some lunch. And as I was driving, I, I almost passed out in, in traffic. So mm. I, I basically drove right to my parents' house who lived in the area and called my doctor and said, I, I'm, I know, you know, when you call him, you say, oh, well, we could see you next Tuesday. I was like, I, I need to see someone now. And I'm going to, I'm going to come sit in the waiting room and see me when you can see me. And, uh, and they did. And the doctor saw me, he listened to my heart. He took a chest x-ray and he said, some, something doesn't look right. He said, I, I hear a little, little abnormal heartbeat, uh, and your, your chest, chest x-ray shows a little haziness. Not, not sure what's going on, but I, I want you to see a, a pulmonologist and a cardiologist. And they got me in pretty quickly because I said, hey, you know, Sunday I'm getting on a plane and I'm leaving for two weeks. And so I went to a cardiologist and a pulmonologist the next day. They, you know, the cardiologist did an echocardiogram, you know, the ultrasound of the heart. And they, they had called me back Wednesday and said, you know, your, your heart function is abnormal. Um, you know, your, your rhythm's abnormal. You know, we need to, you need to go see the cardiologist and come in and let's talk. And so I did that and, you know, I'm seeing the cardiologist on Thursday and I'm asking, Hey, is this, is this serious? Is, is this, do I go to Brazil? Do I need to call back? And she said, well, we need to do a heart cath. Let's, let's see if you have any blockage. Um, we, we need to, we need to understand what might be going on. So they, they pulled some strings and actually got me a, a heart cath the, the following day on a Friday. And so I went to a local hospital, uh, had the appointment at noon. I went to work that morning and, and felt awful. Like I, I was just weak. I was tired. My, I was just felt like I was about to pass out. My palms were kind of balmy and sweaty and my lips were almost, almost numb, like bluish kind of turning and it, I just felt weird and I thought it was nerves you know for the the procedure coming up what are they going to find what's going on and so I, I called my wife and I said hey I'm going home we why don't you just come home and let's I just want to get to the hospital let's get there early and so I went home and got there a little bit before she did laid down on the couch she got home and we went straight to the hospital uh, you know, I just felt more comfortable being there in the waiting room. I, I felt something was going on. And they, they check me in. Uh, they get me, you know, back where you're in the, the prep area where they have the sheets on the walls and the curtains around you. And they, they start trying to take my vitals. And um, the guy said, hey, do, do, you, do you feel okay? And I, I said, no, absolutely not. Uh, and, and I looked and my heart rate was about 250 is, is what was registering. And I was in, I was in VTAC and uh, he, or ventricular tachycardia. 
And he went, uh, he said, I need to go get the doctor. And he went and got the doctor and they came back immediately. And she, she checked me out and um, just immediately kind of, kind of bent down and whispered in my ear because there's people in the prep room, you know, next and they, they didn't want to be alarmed. You know, she said, you're, you're in ventricular tachycardia. Uh, we need to defibrillate you immediately. And so they, they wheeled me out. My wife, you know, eight months pregnant, is just sitting there bawling. And they, they take me in, they uh, uh, sedate me, you know, tell me to count from 100 backwards. I got to about 80 and, and woke up later and had a kind of an iron-shaped uh, uh, little burn mark on my chest. It didn't really hurt, but that's where the paddle had gone. So they, they defibrillated me, um, got me out of that, that arrhythmia. And I'm like, okay, some, something is wrong with me now. And so I checked into that hospital on that Friday afternoon and, you know, not much happened through the weekend. The following week, I got an MRI, got transported to another local hospital, had an MRI and they saw inflammation in the heart. And I was, I was diagnosed with myocarditis. Uh, they, they thought that I had had a, I had had a respiratory infection around August of, of that summer. And they thought, Hey, you know, sometimes you can get a viral infection in your nearby organs and it can cause inflammation of the heart. And we think that's what's going on. And, um, we, you know, a lot of times this happens in three or four months, you'll be fine. Your heart function may return to normal. Um, but luckily the, the doctor said, Hey, in the meantime, you're, you're at risk for these arrhythmias. We are going to prescribe you a life vest. And what, what that was is a, it's a, a vest with, with sensors and shock packs in it uh, with a large battery pack that I had to wear, you know, basically around my belt, kind of hung over my neck and uh, hung there around the waist. And I hated that, you know, I had to, had to wear it to work and answer questions about it and, and just had this big heavy battery box that I had to carry around and, um, you know, was wearing that when the baby was born and, you know, just kind of stressed out, but feeling okay. And, you know, baby was born in November, Christmas rolls around, um, and, and things are getting worse. You know, we, we're, we, we traveled to my, my wife's family's home a, a few hours away for Christmas. And, you know, my, my PVCs or my premature ventricular contractions are just firing all the time. And what, what it's doing is it's, it's setting off the alarm on my vest. And, you know, what happens is if I, if I get a run of VTAC, my vest, it, doo -doo -doo -doo, you know, so you get, a, a, you get an actual alarm. It sets an alarm off. And if yeah. what they say is if, if you're conscious, you deactivate the alarm so you don't get shocked. If you're conscious, just deactivate it and it'll reset. And, and if you're unconscious, it'll, it'll shock you if you don't right. deactivate right. it. So I, you know, I was deactivating it and then it got into like, I was deactivating it literally every minute. I couldn't mm. sleep. The thing was just going off all the time uh, throughout the night. And I was, feeling miserable. Um, you know, the, the bedroom we stay in at the mother-in-law's was upstairs and I, I didn't even want to climb the stairs. You know, it felt like Mount Everest. So mm -hmm. we were sleeping on the pull-out couch of the bed. Um, my, my electrophysiologist here in Pensacola was awesome. Um, you know, he, he's not the original one I ended up with when I had the heart cath. He's, he's one that I, I sought out and, and found. 
he gave me his personal cell phone and, and said, you, you call me anytime. You know, he understood what we were going through and the, the, the stress of it. Anyway, I, I, I called him on Christmas night of all things, you know, he's on vacation. He, he got up and uh, started, you know, wearing that vest. Uh, he, he could call in and get the, the strips and read the telemetry. And he said, yeah, you're, you're having some dangerous rhythms here. Um, I, I would advise you to get back to Pensacola as soon as you can uh, to be close to your, your hospital. You know, I think he, he was on vacation through the end of the year. He said, you know, when I get back, let's check you in. Uh, we'll, we'll look at doing a cardiac ablation. He said, if you feel like you need to get something done before I'm on vacation, by all means, check yourself in and my partners will do it. You know, and I, I really liked this doctor. I trusted him. I, I wanted to wait for him. <clears throat> so we went home on the 26th. Um, the alarm's going crazy. And, uh, you know, it ended up January 1st, uh, you know, New Year's Eve night. Uh, I, I got shocked in the middle of the night. Uh, I woke up at, at 3 a.m. The lights were on in the bedroom. My wife was on the, the phone um, talking to EMS. I, I wake up, like, what, what's going on? You know, uh, she said, you, you were just shocked. And, and she, she was just crying, ecstatic. You know, she, she had actually, she had seen me disable that alarm so much, you know, and she was sleep deprived, could, couldn't sleep with the alarm, has been nursing the child she actually deactivated it because I didn't. And uh, she thought she killed me for, for a minute because she deactivated the alarm and I, I wasn't responding. And um, she, let it, she let it go and it ran its other cycle, gave me the shock and I woke up and we, we ended up in the hospital that night. So that, wow. that's kind of how it started. So, man, that's, so all of that leads to I'm assuming finding some sort of a, a heart blockage and it's sarcoidosis. How, how did you jump from there to what it really was? So it wasn't, there, there was no blockage. Uh, so when they did the, the heart cath, they, they found zero blockage. It was, it was just inflammation of the left ventricle okay. uh, of the heart. So when, when I went to the hospital, the, the night of January 1st or the, the more early morning of January 1st, um, I was in there for a month this time. And this is, I know you've referred to the house episodes on, on the, this podcast. Before. I have. I felt like a house episode. You know, it was like, here's this otherwise healthy guy. You know, I had a pretty healthy lifestyle. You know, it was, was very active. We watched what we ate and, you know, weren't perfect. But, you know, I consider, we considered ourselves very healthy, very normal. I, I had never missed an unplanned day of work in my entire life and until this happened. Mm. And uh, anyway, we were in there for a month. Sarcoidosis was actually talked about. Uh, one of my pulmonologists, uh, you know, when that doctor had taken the x-ray they sent me to, he, he suspected sarcoidosis. Uh, so it was the first time I'd ever heard of it. And the other, you know, uh, well, we, we, don't, we don't think so. You know, you, you just don't fit the you don't fit the bill of a sarcoid patient, you know, and they seem to think that, um, you know, I, I, I don't know, you know, they, it, like there's this uh, stereotype of a sarcoid patient. They, they didn't think I fit that. Um, right. So anyway, they, they're doing tests. The doctor, um, he, he went in 
I'm sorry. I, I, I was not in a hospital a month this time. I was in there for a week. They, they did an ablation. Uh, no, you're right. I'm right. This, this was the month. They did an ablation. They uh, did a mediastinoscopy to, to you know, pull, pull some of that inflammation out of my lungs or, or they tried to get some what we thought might be granulomas on my lymph, lymph nodes. And they did a biopsy and they came back and said it was negative. Um, they, they checked for sarcoid and said it was negative. So at that point, the car electrophysiologist agreed to do the ablation. Um, he didn't want to go in if they thought it was sarcoid, didn't want to go into, he, he said, I don't want to go in the kitchen when it's on fire. So we, they ruled out sarcoid and went in and did the ablation and gave me the ICD and pacemaker and said, you know, you're at risk of having these arrhythmias forever. Um, even, even when the inflammation goes away, you're going to have scarring to deal with that can disrupt that electrical signal and, and cause those uh, arrhythmias. So after a week, I'm back home, back to work, trying to live normal and just stressed out. You know, can't sleep, lots of anxiety, feeling terrible, not, not you know, undiagnosed. You know, they, they still can't tell me what's wrong. They can just tell me my heart's failing and we don't know why. Mm -hmm. And um, just hang in there. <laughs> it's okay. Hang in there. Nice. Right. Nice. You know, uh, and about a month later, so in February of 2015, I was, you know, after, after work one day we had dinner, I was holding the baby. I, I didn't feel well. I was like, uh, let, me, let me go take my blood pressure. I took, handed the baby back to my wife, went to take my blood pressure and it, it wouldn't register. Um, couldn't, couldn't register a pulse, couldn't register a blood pressure, feeling lightheaded. I started walking through the kitchen to tell my wife, I, I think we need to go to the ER. And uh, I got shocked. I got my, my defibrillator fired. And then it, you know, I'm on the ground, it fired again and again and again. And uh, so she calls EMS. They, they get there. They take me to the hospital. I'm in the, you know, my wife stays home with the baby. I'm in the ER room and here it comes again, fire, shock, shock, shock. And, you know, at this point I'm just, give me lidocaine. You know, that's, that's what they had given me on, on the new year's day. And it, it just calmed everything down and, and stopped it. So here I am telling the doctors what to do. Mm -hmm. And, um, I was probably a little obnoxious, but I, I got shocked 21 times that night. Um, and it was, uh, it was pretty intense. And, and so that's um, back in the hospital doing another cardiac ablation. Uh, I was in the hospital for a week this time and, and, and went back out. They, they had changed the antiarrhythmic drug that I was on from a sodalol to amiodarone, which is a, a stronger but more toxic um, antiarrhythmic. So Ryan, they eventually figured out it was sarcoidosis. They did. Um, so that, that was, all, that all happened in February. You know, I'm getting out of the hospital around March. Life goes on. I'm back to work, trying to work, you know, my mind's in other places and it's really difficult to just try to engage and try to fake through the day of, uh, being a normal person, you mm -hmm. know, carrying right. that, that, that stress. And we, we weren't, we, we had to get a, a real diagnosis. We just weren't satisfied. My, my wife's doing research like crazy, 
hey, the Cleveland Clinic's the, the number one heart hospital in the, in the U.S. They have a sarcoid clinic. We're, we're going there. I, I don't care how far it is. So, yeah. so we made a, arrangements and uh, went up to the Cleveland Clinic in, uh, it was August of 2015. And up there, uh, they, they diagnosed me with sarcoid. I, I'd seen a, a pulmonologist, a cardiologist, and actually an infectious disease doctor, mm-hmm. just because we, we wanted you know everything. Um, and the, the pulmonologist up there had, had diagnosed me with sarcoid. They actually sent the, the biopsy taken from our local hospital up there, and, and they analyzed it themselves and, and gave me a clinical diagnosis. Gotcha. So uh, you've been you've been in the same rooms I've been in. Then, uh, if you've been up at the pulmonology lab at the uh, yep. at right. Cleveland Clinic, right? Uh, yeah. Do, which do you, which doctor do you have? Do you remember? I see uh, Doctor Kristen Highland. Okay, I don't know that one, but um, but I've uh, yeah I've had great success. So I've got it. You know, neurosarc. So I'm dealing with several other doctors, but the pulmonologists tend to be tend to be the leads because that's where it shows up the most. So you went through prednisone, methotrexate, all that stuff? Yeah, so at the Cleveland Clinic, they immediately put me on 40 milligrams of prednisone, uh, methotrexate, and Remicade. Okay. That was, uh, I guess it sounds, sounds like the standard for a lot. And I took I took all of those one at a time. You were taking them all at once. That's yeah. interesting. And that, did that get it under control? Well, it it helped. So you know that that was uh, you know August of 2015. Um, went back March of 2016. Uh, it it had improved, but not gone away. And I'm yeah, it, it, it that was March of 2016. It had improved, but not gone away. And so they said, hey, this, this is a great improvement. Let's, let's continue tapering that prednisone. Uh, let, let's, let's get you down. Uh, you know, they're, they're telling me all the bad things it does with bone density loss and all that stuff. And I, you know, I was feeling the same way you feel and everyone feels with the prednisone. You're, you're happy, you're sad, you're angry, you're, you're all over the place. I, I couldn't sleep. Um, I couldn't sleep when I needed to, and I couldn't stay awake when I needed to. It was just, uh, it was just a mess. And um, on, on top of the stress that I was already feeling, I felt like I was just a, a loose cannon all the time. But anyway, um, we, we tapered the prednisone, tried to come down. When I came back to the Cleveland Clinic the next time, a few months later, the inflammation was back. And it, uh, it was uh, back pretty good. And my doctors, you know, that's when I'm talking to the cardiologist. I'm like, what does this mean? You know, because when I, when I was first up there, like, hey, you know, a lot of patients have this. We, we give them the medication and it goes away and you never see it again. And he said, you know, there, there's really three types of sarcoid patients. There's those, you know, it comes and it goes. There's those where you just have to treat it forever, keep it under control, manage it with the drugs. And then there's, you know, the third group that, you know, a lot of things aren't effective and, you know, it's just a, a big struggle for those people, you know, when, when the drugs don't do what they're supposed to. And, he and you're, said, you're in the third group. No, he said, he, I, I felt like I was in that middle group, you know, okay. prednisone seemed to be very effective 
to me. You know, it was it, it seemed to be the one thing that when I when I was on it and continued on it, it it would clear up. But as soon as I started taking the prednisone away, uh, it would come back. So mm-hmm. after that, we're we're back on prednisone. Uh, it again went back to the Cleveland Clinic, and uh, it it cleared up quite a bit, but still not gone. Come off the prednisone, it comes back. And so, uh, you know, we get to like September 2016, and it, it was it was back. It, my, the heart was inflamed. The uh, heart function had decreased. Uh, my ejection fraction was down into the 30%. So the, the ejection fraction is the amount of blood that, that you know, exits and gets replaced in the, the heart or the left ventricle each time it pumps. And right. the normal heart is, you know, they, they say 50 to 65%, but really 60 to 65% for, you know, a young, young, healthy person. And I was, I was down in the thirties. I, I got as low as 33%. Uh, so I'm, I'm freaking out. You know, he's, he's telling me, you know, I have to change my lifestyle. You know, I have to give up my activity. You know, we, we loved hiking and, you know, all kinds of stuff, jogging, bike riding, all, all of it. And it's like, you just kind of have to curb your expectations and change your life and you learn to enjoy, you know, other stuff or doing less. And this was devastating to me. You know, it was, uh, it was the, I don't know, it was, it was, it was a hard pill to swallow. And then. Yeah. Right. We, I totally, we totally about, understand that. So, so you didn't want to take no for an answer. That's right. So you started looking for alternative options. Yes. Which um, I think all of us who fight Sark would like to know what those options are. Every time I ask a doctor, they're like, yeah, diet, dietary changes don't work. Um, you, you're just going to have to accept that you can't do as much. And, yes, but you, you started doing dietary changes. I did, you know, we at this conversation, we were also talking about heart transplant and at mm-hmm. what point that makes sense. And he, he, his opinion was, you know, I asked him, am I going to need a heart transplant? And his answer was, if, if I'm a betting man, yes, you, you will eventually need one. Um, Cause you know, the, the way this was looking is it's going to be a battle of on and off prednisone and just managing these flare ups and taking the prednisone when it happens and hoping we catch it in time. You know, the, the problem is with the, the heart inflammation is once when that inflammation is there cooking, you know, it, it, it turns that tissue to scar. And, and once it's scar, you, you don't get it back. It's, it's, it's done. And so that's when it's, this isn't happening. You know, so something's got to happen. And, and I have to have, there has to be something I can do. You know, there, there's all this medication um, and you're right. When you talk to the doctors, do- doctors are brilliant, you know, but, but in a lot of times they, they are experts in, in their function, whether that be the heart or the brain or whatever it may be. And I, I've even asked uh, some of my doctors, you know, just in casual conversation, they, they haven't had a lot of nutrition um, in their education. And right. if they did, it was years and years ago and, and stuff changes. You know, uh, you know, we went through the whole low fat, that's bad for you, you know, and, and you got to eat this low fat, high sugar stuff and that's better for you. 
And, and that was kind of the dietary trend of the 80s, 90s, and, and things change. You know, they, they were telling us to fill up on whole grains and things like that, and that has changed. So what I did, I, I started seeing the, the functional medicine department there at the Cleveland Clinic. Um, at the same time, my, my wife is just all over the, the nutrition stuff. She's been telling me, look, you need to go gluten-free, dairy-free, um, and I, I was, I was already started, I was already doing some of that stuff. And when we went, you know, so after this, uh, September, 2016 visit where the inflammation was back, uh, really got serious about the diet, the doctor at the functional medicine clinic, which, you know, I, I would recommend anybody to go see a functional medicine doctor with what these doctors do. They, they understand the, the human body, the systems, the, the, you know, what different levels of, of, you know, blood tests, things like that. And he, he validated a lot of what everything my wife had been telling me. And for some reason, it just seemed validated coming from a doctor, but it was a lot of the same exact stuff. Um, it was hard when your wife's telling you, don't eat the pizza, don't, don't eat this. And, and right. Well, I mean, but I mean, that's, you know, some of that is common sense. And what you, what I know that I'm looking for and what I've heard from other people is you're looking for somebody who understands the whole system. That's right. And so you kind of intuitively know just from our culture that pizza is delicious, but it's bad for you. Um, But when a doctor says, oh, well, that breaks down into this molecule, which gives you this result and that's why it's bad for you. And you have this particular condition that exacerbates that, then that's makes it worse for you that therefore you should avoid pizza. We're picking on pizza and pizza is one of the things that if I, if I eat pizza, I know I'm going to feel like crap for two hours. Right. Right. right? Um, right. And sometimes I eat it anyway, or sometimes that, you know, we're babysitting the grandkids and the only thing we can do is order pizza. So, Okay it's going to be pizza. And then when I get home, I'm going to feel awful. But your doctor, your functional medicine doctor said, yeah, don't, don't eat pizza and don't eat a whole bunch of other stuff. You're going to tell right. us about, right? Well, it was, you know, and he was explaining why, and you know, what, what the first thing we talked about in there is we, we talked about the gut and, and the importance of the microbiome and, and our intestines and guts and the, the billions and billions of bacteria in there and what role they play in, in our overall health and well-being and, you know, the immune system. And, um, you know, I'd always heard, hey, take probiotics, they're good for you, but I, I never really understood why or what. And, um, you know, my, my wife had recommended a book for me to read, The Good Gut, uh, and it, it explained how, you know, the the microbiome in our gut is, you know, decreasing generation after generation. You know, if you go back to our, our hunter and gatherer ancestors in, in Paleolithic times, you know, right. humans are, we're a product of evolution, you know, um, you know go, going back to, you know, apes, essentially, you know, we're, we're millions of years of evolution. And you look at ag- modern agriculture as, as we know it, um, with, with the heavy grains, corn, soy, and wheat, most of which, which are our, our main agricultural crops, at least in the U.S., you know, this started about 10,000 years ago. So that about 10,000 years ago, the human diet started converting to, you know, these agricultural crops, less diversity, 
Um, and then over, over time, you know, we, our culture has also become more sanitary, right? We, we brush our teeth every day. We take showers every day, things like that. And we're not going to stop doing that, but um, you combine that with, you know, the, the lack of diversity in our diet, the, the processed foods and the heavy antibiotics that we all take um, through our, through our lives for various reasons and the antibiotics in our food system and the, the meat that we eat. Um, the glyphosate on the GMO crops that we eat uh, affects the, the microbiome in our gut. And you get this microbiome out, out of whack and, and things happen. And so that was uh, one of the first things we focused on was uh, getting the microbiome right through, through diet, understanding what's good for it, what's bad for it. You know, we had already been eating, you know, mostly organic foods, um, especially the meats and vegetables. And anyway, um, that, that was one of the first things we focused on. Um, how, how do you know when your microbiome is right? Well, what I did uh, through there is we actually took a test um, where I, it was a test kit that I took home and I, I had to send in a, a stool sample to this uh, third party lab and they analyzed it and sent a report to me that I couldn't understand, but my doctor could. And I, you know, I was out of whack. I wasn't the worst, you know, it wasn't terrible, but uh, th there were some air, you know, certain types of bacteria that were low that should have been higher. And, and I guess a little bit of the stuff you want lower, you know? Um, so that was it. But, you know, some, some symptoms are, you know, just, bloating, GI pain, um, anything abnormal in the gut, you can, you can feel it. And they, they, there's thought and evidence that, you know, a gut imbalance can, can lead to autoimmune issues. Um, right. most, most people with autoimmune issues, I guess, have, have some sort of gut imbalance. So you, you talked about probiotics, but isn't that typically just one type of bacteria that you're putting into your system or when you, when you go to the health food store and you buy probiotics, um, are, are you buying lots of different bacteria that you're going to take or are you buying one? I'm, I'm taking one, one type. And I, I think it's a, a blend. Yeah, oh, actually, it is a blend. Okay. Sure that it was, I'm right. taking the one that the, the Cleveland clinic had recommended. Ah. And, uh, so okay. it, yeah. Do you and know I, what I, it is? Uh, Thera therabiotic complete. Okay. Is, is what, what it's called. And do you buy that at the grocery store or the health food store or is it a prescription or how do you get it? I buy it, it on Amazon now. Really? Yeah. Okay. It's about, I want to say it's about $90 for a three month supply, something like that. Okay. So that, so that was a piece of it. Another, another piece that I learned about that, that I take very seriously now is the omega six to omega three ratio. And I would recommend anyone just, just Google omega-6 to omega-3 ratio. And what you'll see is, um, again, going back to the, the evolutionary stuff, um, human beings, we, we evolved on a diet that had a ratio of about a one-to-one omega-6 to omega-3. And omega-6s are, you know, we need our omegas. We need both of them. It's not like omega-6s are evil and omega-3 is good. But the problem is in our modern American diets, uh, we get way too much of the omega-6. And, you know, they, they say that the average American probably has a 10 to 1 ratio. And when that ratio is heavy on the omega-6 side, 
your, your, our bodies are in an inflammatory state and mm. we're, we're susceptible to, to all kinds of diseases, cancer, autoimmune, you name it. You know, in, inflammation is the root of most, if not all diseases. So uh, where, where do you get omega-6 from? Cookies? So, uh, yeah, processed foods. Processed and, and foods, then right. A lot of, uh, you know, the, the, the lower cost foods, like the vegetable oils, so, soybean oils, um, safflower, sunflower oils, uh, th those type of oils, uh, peanuts, um, pork has a lot of omega-6 fat in it. Um, you know, the omega-3s on the other hand, uh, the best source of it is, is fish. fish. Uh, yeah. You know, and then there's some plant sources, walnuts, um, flaxseed, things like that. But the, the EPA and DHA, uh, which are, you know, those are only available in the animal proteins of fish. So I, I take a, a daily fish oil supplement every day. Yeah, so that, that's, that that's a, the scary thing is, is you can go stand like we have Kroger supermarkets here. Um, you have, well, I guess you have Publix down there in Florida, right? right? You right. can stand in front of that vitamin aisle and say, wow, you know, look at all these different things that I could do that will, you know, make me better that, you know, they've got to be healthy, but you don't know in, you know, which ones work and which ones don't and what the proportion should be. And you know, eventually this stuff gets expensive. Mm -hmm. So if somebody's listening to this, you know, should they rush out and get an omega-6, omega-3 ratio, uh, drug or or do they uh start regulating that or or do you really need to go find a functional medicine doctor first I, you know I, I think i think a i guess i'm not qualified to tell anyone what to do but i, I would say right. yeah those those health food stores that the supplement industry is a huge industry and right. you know we even found ourselves a, there's a lot of stuff that's anti-inflammatory you know tart cherry juice turmeric and and we're, uh, I kind of got into taking a lot of different stuff. And I was like, look, we need, we need it. It was getting expensive. And like, we, we need to figure out what, what really matters, what's really important. Um, we got the guidance of our, our functional medicine doctors. And, you know, my thought is, you know, I'll talk about the CBD in a little bit. Uh, you know, that's a supplement I take, but um, fish oil and probiotics are essential to me. And, and will be something I take forever. You know, I, I feel that those are worth my money, worth my time. Now with that, it's a big industry. Um, a lot of the, it's an unregulated industry. So you have to know what you're getting. Um, you know, the, the government doesn't inspect those and, and regulate them. So the, the, the brand of probiotic that I take was recommended by the Cleveland Clinic. Uh, the Cleveland Clinic, they, they actually have a supplement store. I forgot what it's called, uh, but you could Google that. And I, I think anyone I can didn't, buy it. I didn't know about that. Okay. They, they, that's where they, the, the supplements they sell in that store are available elsewhere, but they know that what's in that store is, is legitimate and, and they're, they're confident in. Um, I, I forgot what the name of that story right. is. Well, probably... there's so many snake oil salesmen out there. Yeah, you know, exactly. The the great Dr. Kilmer's swamp root liver kidney and bladder cure. 
from back in the day. I actually, we found an old bottle dump on my family farm and we were digging up old bottles and I pulled up a bottle and that was, you know, this glass bottle from like 1850 or something. And that's what literally what it said on the side of it. And, um, and so who knows what was in that, uh, whatever Dr. Kilmer came up with, but you're trying to avoid that even in modern times, uh, they've got more sophisticated labeling, but it's hard to know what's the good stuff and what's, what's crap. So, uh, you started doing all this. Did it work? I mean, did you're, you're, you're taking fish oil and, uh, what, and what was the other supplement you said was really important to you? Well, the C, the CBD. So, so well, and we haven't got to CBD yet, but you were taking something else with your fish oil. And, and so I'm uh, just curious. The probiotic. Probiotic. Right. And so, so that started helping your heart. Well, not who knows what, what's helping what, you know, I'm on a right. lot of heart medications. I'm uh, still on prednisone at this time, methotrexate at this time. Um, you know, so I, I started taking CBD when I went back to the Cleveland clinic that fall and got that bad report as some, something's got to happen. We mm-hmm. ramped up my diet compliance. I, I, I'm going to do everything I can to get my body in the best shape, best condition as possible to fight this disease. And, you know, I think just going after inflammation in general, an anti-inflammatory diet, you know, what causes inflammation an imbalanced gut, visceral fat around our abdomens, uh, you know, the, the excess insulin in our body causes uh, inflammation. I, it was weird. I know a lot of people gain weight on prednisone. I actually lost 25 pounds because I, I just, I went on, I gave up grains. I wasn't drinking beer. I was, you know, I was just, I was eating meat and vegetables and, and more vegetables than meat. And, um, you know, the, the weight just kind of came off give, giving up all the wheat and starchy carbohydrates. So anyway, at the same time, um, I, I started taking the CBD. Um, I had done a lot of research on it, read about it, uh, read how the, the endocannabinoid system in our body is pretty fascinating. So we, you know, I had a friend in college whose daughter is now epileptic. Uh, she, mm-hmm. she was a young, young girl. Um, this was a few years ago. Uh, you know, she, they were in the news because he was on the forefront of, of helping push the, the legislation through the state of Florida, uh, promoting, you know, medical cannabis legalization here. He was in the newspaper on the news and, you know, they shared the story about his daughter um, I said, I'm, I'm going to give him a call because I, I saw, you know, when they were talking about this getting legalized in Florida, I saw the list of qualifying conditions and, and many of them are autoimmune and, you know, multiple sclerosis, rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, and, and it said, or like conditions. I was like, well, mm-hmm. sarcoidosis fits in that family. Let's, let's dig in. And so I, I called him and I, I said, you, you know, a lot about this. You've been fighting the battle and, and taking care of your daughter, you know, what can you tell me? And he, he, uh, he sent me a website, the realm of caring. And it, it's a, it's a nonprofit organization based out in Colorado, whose mission is to educate patients and doctors on, on the use of cannabinoids for, for therapy. Uh, you know, I'd kind of always thought that cannabinoid therapy was, you know, based on the THC side, right? Making people feel better through the, the psychological effects of it. 
And when I realized on that realm of caring website that he gave me, he, he said, go to the research library. There's a link there and, and there's a list of all kinds of medical conditions. I think they have every condition in the world besides sarcoidosis. Of course. And uh, he said, you know, just, just start reading different things related to your disease and see what you find. Uh, he said, I, I do know that it is an anti-inflammatory because ep epilepsy is a form of inflammation in the brain. So it does have anti-inflammatory effects. Um, and I, I do know that it's uh, effective for autoimmune, but I don't know much more than that. Go dig in. And so I did. Uh, so I started, went to that realm of caring website and I was looking at, you know, there was no sarcoidosis, but I was reading about inflammation, uh, autoimmune, things like that. And what, what I found is that, you know, our bodies have an endocannabinoid system in them. And what that is, is we have, uh, it's called, we have receptors in our body. Uh, we have CB1 receptors, uh, mainly in our, in our central nervous system. And that's the receptor that the THC in the cannabis reacts with to, to give the psychoactive effects. Mm -hmm. We have a CB2 receptor in our body that, that's in our immune cells. And that, that is our, our, this, the CBD or cannabidiol um, interacts with the CB2 receptor to modulate the immune system. And, you know, I read these technical articles. I don't understand a lot of it, you know, but, but typically what I do is I read the abstract or the summary and right. I get the gist of it, you know, um, I saw some commonalities in these articles that, you know, CB, can cannabidiol acts on the CB2 receptor. It downregulates cytokine production. It reduces inflammation. I even saw, I read an article about fibrosis showing how it, it it's a, a tissue protectant uh, and, and reduces fibrosis and oxidative stress. I was like, wow, this reduces anxiety. I was like, this sounds like the perfect drug for me. And right. you know, really no known side effects. So what I did is, uh, I, I talked to my doctor at the Cleveland Clinic, uh, my pulmonologist, and I sent her some of that research. And I said, hey, I, I, I would like to start taking this. You know, I want to experiment with it. Would you, would you mind looking at these articles and tell me if you think they're legitimate? Are they credible? Um, you know, let me know what you think. And she, she said, yeah, give me a couple of weeks. And she got back to me a couple of weeks later and said, these, these are legit. It's very interesting. She's like, mm. I, I wasn't aware of this, but... You know, if you're comfortable with it, let's let's give it a shot. And so, so, so yeah. where where do you go? How do you know? Because now cannabis is exploding onto the market, right? Yeah. And so again, there's you know some of it's probably a good product, and some of it probably is something posing as a good product, right. or right. It's, it's not as clean. It's not you know whatever percentages they they try to break this down to. So. How do you get to the product that you know works? So the, the realm of caring uh, is, a, is a good resource, but I, I uh, chose the brand Charlotte's Web. That, that's the one that, that my friend's daughter took. Um, that's the, the one that you've probably seen on the, 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 the news or Dateline or all that over the years. But uh, the company is called CW Hemp. It stands for Charlotte, Charlotte's Web. Um, but anyway, you, you, 
you do have to be careful. There, you know, it's, it's a big industry out there. And hemp is a, a bioremediator, which means it, it absorbs, you know, what's in its environment, toxins that may be in the soil, and it stores it inside. So it, hemp is actually used to, to clean up toxic fields and things like that. Hmm. So the last thing you want to do is, you know, buy some from an unreliable source that's cleaned up a, a field contaminated with yeah. lead or whatnot. Hazmat site, and yeah. It's an unregulated industry. Um, you know, with that, though, there's also questions on, you know, is it legal? Is it legal in my state? Uh, CBD is. And in 2014, the, the federal government act, you know, they, they were pushed to, hey, you have to, there's a difference between hemp and marijuana. And right. they, they, they kind of pushed the federal government to, to draw that line of distinction. And where they drew it is at 0.03% THC. THC. So anything yeah. below that, that minuscule threshold is hemp and anything above it is federally illegal as marijuana. So right. CBD can be in both, is in both. Uh, but you can get CBD on, on the, the lower end of that threshold. And that, that, that was in 2014, that distinction was made uh, at that, you know, it was, it was made available for sale and legal, but the laws were still a little bit gray. In 2018, in the farm bill, uh, the, the government basically explicitly stated that CBD, you know, in hemp oil with, with less than 0.03% THC is, is legal for sale and distribution throughout the United States. So that, that can be purchased and obtained in, in, you know, without a prescription, without a doctor, you could probably in most cases go down to your health food store and buy it. Yeah, now, or, or drug store, or like, you know, when I, when right. I'm in my vitamin aisle, my supplement aisle at Kroger, there's a kiosk right there with every kind of CBD product you can imagine. Right. And, and are we talking about a pill that you take or an oil that you rub on your skin or both or what? Because it seems like it presents in a lot of different ways. Yeah, I, I, I take an oil, um, you know, and, and, and my fish oil I take as an oil. I think that's the most most pure way to get it. But and it's a pill. It's a pill that you take as an oil. Oh, it's, it's, a, it's, it's like a dropper, you know, like a, a one milliliter dropper. Drop. That and you and put take. it in your coffee or just how, how do you consume it? Put it put it straight in my mouth and take under, hold it under my tongue for a little bit, 30 seconds, I think it says, and then I, I swallow it. Okay. And I'm, I'm taking a, when I was sick with sarcoid actively flared, I was taking 300 milligrams a day. Um, so and it was expensive. Um, you know, insurance doesn't pay for it. At that time I was spending about $500 a month on it, uh, which was, Again, I wouldn't do it if I didn't think it was was effective. But I started taking that in September, went back to the Cleveland Clinic in March and had my first absolutely clear PET scan. Um, no inflammation in the body anywhere. You know, um, when I had my first PET scan, it was in my heart, lungs, liver, lymph nodes, bone marrow. Um, and then on, on prednisone, it would improve and then come back when I got off the prednisone did this back and forth a couple times and you know really got on the diet started taking the CBD and it cleared up I, I don't know what did it um, don't know if that would have happened with or without it but I 
I'm not stopping taking it. I'll tell you that. Yeah, you, um, you, yeah you, I did. Yeah. Well, you can't do your own double blind research. Right. <laughs> you you're just doing what you're doing, and of course, the thing about sarcoidosis that's so frustrating is 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 in many cases around fifty percent. It just goes away on its own, and then there's those of us who for whom it persists for whatever reason, but, you know, after doing a whole bunch of stuff that, that include prednisone and the traditional treatments, what you have found is that CBD made the big difference. That was, I, I feel that like was it, the changing it, factor. Yeah, it did. You know, it, 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 another thing it allowed me to do, you know, this whole journey, I, I, I was just a nervous mess. You know, I was, I, I couldn't, couldn't focus at work. I couldn't sleep. I, you know, was just, depressed and anxious and all of it. And, you know, when I started taking the CBD, uh, I, you know, had to, for a while I was on anxiety medicine, really just to get to sleep because my heart's pounding and I needed to relax and get to sleep. And I was able to quit that and uh, right. got, got off the anxiety medicine, uh, felt a very good sense of well-being, um, felt like I was in control of something. Um, and then the diet piece, you know, my, my wife was just, she, she had become passionate about this. You know, she's since uh, left her career in academia and has uh, become a holistic nutritionist and is opening up her, her own practice for it. Really just completely based on this experience. You know, she's found her passion in that. And uh, hmm. that's what she's doing going forward. Well, so. good for her. I guess she must have some sort of a background. What was her academic background? She was the uh, the director of the graduate school at, at, at a state university. Okay. And, you know, it was, it was a good job, but, you know, her, her she, she found her passion here helping me. And, you know, I, I've become very interested in this nutritional stuff. And, you know, there, there's a lot of misinformation out there. And, and it's not just junk on the Internet. It's it's our you know, what our government is telling us, our food pyramid, there, there's, there's different ways to look at this. And the, you know, I, I would say doctors are a lot like politicians, you know, the, the right and the left and, and in the middle. And, you know, these, these functional medicine doctors don't necessarily promote what, what the government's promoting. And they, they you know, the government, you know, I don't want to get on a government tirade here, but there's, there's other influences there with, economy and lobbyists and, and things like that, that affect, mm -hmm. um, you know, what, what is a heart healthy food or what, you know, what the cancer society approves and things like that. Um, right. I mean, right. They, they have honey nut Cheerios as a heart healthy food. I mean, give me a break. It's, right. So, so you're still doing the uh, anti anti-inflammatory diet and you're doing CBD oil. That's right. And are you on any other drugs at this time? Oh, I'm, I'm still on, I, I've completely come off prednisone for two years now. Uh, I've been completely off methotrexate. Uh, that was a, that was a tough decision. I'll, I'll talk about that in a minute. And yeah. we've reduced my Remicade from every four weeks to every six weeks. And right. I've been uh, sarcoid free now completely for four years. There was a, there was a mishap in there. So there's, I started taking the CBD. Uh, I had a clear PET scan, you know, five months after taking it. My next one, you know, six months later was clear. 
Went to go to the next one six months later, felt great, was going into Cleveland. You know, we had, went to go see LeBron and the Cavs play. That was exciting. Oh, uh, wow. You know, we were just enjoying this trip because it wasn't as stressful anymore. And uh, went in and got the PET scan and my heart was full of inflammation, uh, worse than it had ever been. But the oh. doctor said, this is just peculiar. It, it, it looks peculiar. It's only in your heart. It's, it's not, it, it just, it looks weird. I, I can't explain it, but you know, I don't know. She's like, we have to assume it's sarcoid, but it's, it's you know, something's weird about it. So anyway, I'm devastated. You know, I, th I thought, I thought I was out of the woods. Um, I thought that I'd been pretty mentally strong through all this, but I, I started to crack, you know, I was like this, I can't take this. Uh, you know, I thought, thought we were done with this, even though my doctor at the beginning said, Hey, this is a roller coaster. You... Anyway, at this point I, I went to see a counselor because it was, uh, you know, it was to a point where I hated my job that I knew I loved, you know, it was just, I, I didn't want to go there. I didn't want to do anything. I was just kind of emotionally dead. Like the theme song, I was a zombie, you know, just zombie, going, right. going through the motions, um, you know, just no, no energy, no mental energy, just kind of numb. And I was like, I, I can't heal this way. You know, this, this isn't. And, and what I realized there is the, the impact of, of stress and, and the mind over matter. You know, I went into this appointment excited, happy. Hey, we have a vacation away for a week, you know, a couple of days. We're going to see LeBron. I felt great. And as soon as the doctor told me I was sick with sarcoid, I felt sick, you know, wasn't happy anymore. And, and it wasn't just in my head. It was in my physical symptoms. Like, I have a chart. I can look at my PVCs and they spiked. Like they went from, you know, a relatively low rate to, you know, a high rate just in, in minutes, you know, and, and, and they stuck there. And I, mm. it was, it was night and day just from being told I was sick again. And uh, so I, I realized what the, the mind plays in all this. And I kind of got, got into, um, you know, with the counselor, um, started talking about meditation and, and ways to just kind of relieve that stress. Uh, you know, one, one of the things that she told me that she's like, this is going to sound ridiculous. And a neurologist would probably tell me I'm a clown that she said, why don't do you ever tell your body to heal? And I was like, well, what do you mean? She's like, well, like, how do you move your fingers? And I was like, well, I, I don't know. I just kind of think about it and they move. She said, well, why don't you tell your body to, heal your heart like you you move your fingers you know it's like what what's it gonna hurt yeah it sounds corny sounds cheesy but anyway it was a it was something to do right so when I'm when I'm sitting there in bed and my heart's pounding and I can't sleep I would just lay quietly and kind of in my way meditate and tell my body to heal like just try to actively send that energy and heal and I don't know if it did anything it, it you know, kind of made me feel better. Again, it kind of made me feel like I was, I was doing something myself to contribute to, to this. Um, but anyway, so saw the counselor, you know, several times, you know, eventually got picked myself back up and then said, okay, we're, we're back in action. We're, we're going to just deal with whatever comes our way. 
went back to the Cleveland Clinic and was clear again. Hmm. And at this point, we had a conversation with the doctor. And you know, so what was so peculiar about that, that previous test? And then I told her, I, I don't know if you've ever had a PET scan, um, but they, they give you a strict diet to follow the day before. Okay, and, yeah. Uh, and then you have to fast. And the, the diet is basically no carbohydrates, high, high fat, protein, kind of a keto, ketogenic diet. Bacon. What's that? Bacon. Yeah. Bacon, <laughs> I guess, avocados, eggs, yeah, right, stuff like right, that. Right. Um, not a terrible diet. It's like, it food I enjoy eating. But anyway, we were, we were in Cleveland the day before and we went to a Mediterranean restaurant. And this was before I knew as much about nutrition and different foods as I know now. Um, we ordered, I ordered like hummus chicken. I thought, oh, hummus is protein. It has olive oil and fat. What I didn't realize is, you know, how many carbs are actually in, you know, the, the chickpeas or garbanzo beans. Uh, you know, it is a source of protein, but very high in carbohydrates. And I had eaten that the day before. And when they asked me when I went to take the PET scan, you know, did you eat carbohydrates? I said, no. And anyway, we, we did the PET scan. And long story short, we think that was a false positive now hmm. um, because of the fact that I ate those carbohydrates. And, and when you do the PET scan before the PET, you get injected with a, like a, a radioactive sugar solution. Mm -hmm. And then what they're looking for is, is that, I guess, the glucose uptake in the areas of inflammation and ha having those uh, glycogen stores in my body from the carbohydrates. Um, we believe caused the, the false positive test. So as far as, you know, assuming that was false positive, ever since I'd been on the CBD, um, I, I've been free and clear. And, uh, you know, not another story, you know, when, when I went back and I, I got that false positive, um, we, we were trying to get pregnant at that time. We wanted to get pregnant at that time. And, you know, when we, when we originally got on the methotrexate, they said, Hey, you, you can't, you can't get pregnant on this drug. It can cause genetic birth defects. Um, we know it happened, you know, with women, it absolutely is a no, no with men. We, we tell people not to, you know, there haven't been studies done, but it's highly recommended not to. So we, we weren't going to touch that. So we, uh, um, went to a fertility clinic, froze some sperm and, you know, when, when things started getting better for me, we started trying to get pregnant, but then we were unsuccessful and, and ran out. And so uh, we told the doctor, you know, after we think I'm inflamed again, going back on prednisone, um, I, we decided to come off methotrexate. And that was a pretty scary decision because we, we didn't know what was doing what, right? Uh, but she seemed pretty confident, hey, you know, prednisone seems to be doing the trick for you and, and CBD seemed to have some kind of positive impact on you. Let's, and, and she kind of felt confident. Let's, let's, let's do it. Let, let's come back in a few months and, and see. And we came back in a few months and um, the SARC was free and clear, you know, which now mm -hmm. we think was a false positive. And uh, we ended up, you know, after six months, we could try to get pregnant again. And, and we did. And, now we have our second child that's a, a year and a half old. So, Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. That's awesome. 
So, man, we've been talking for, for a little over an hour already. So, um, just in the interest of time, I want to move forward. You are up and around, you are working, you like your job again. Yes. You, can you hike? Can you play beer league kickball anymore? Uh, you, uh, can you do all those things? Honestly, I, I can do it all. Um, you know, I, 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 I jog about daily, you know, I, I used to jog, uh, you know, five, six, six miles at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I had ran a half marathon, you know, the year prior to the, the SARC. I actually ran a half mar- ran and walked a half marathon, um, you know, six months after that cardiac arrest, just to, just to do it. I had to prove to myself that, you know, I'm not sick, you know, I can yeah. do this. But anyway, you know, we, we just took a two week trip out to Colorado this summer. I hiked, had the the baby in the backpack going uphill, you know, throughout this whole journey, we, we took some trips and did some hiking and my wife would carry the babies. And I didn't really like that, you know, but, but I needed to, you know, it just exhausted me and I I didn't want to push it and have, have some event happen on a mountainside, but yeah, I can, you know, I'm not going to go out and run a Ironman triathlon, but I can jog a couple of miles. I can, I can play tennis as, as long as anyone wants to. And I can, I can walk forever, you know, mm-hmm. miles and miles and miles. And, um, you know, other than extreme exertion uh, for extended periods of time, I, I feel like my life is very normal. My quality of life has been restored um, better than I expected. You, you know, I kind of always tried to, visualize success and think, Hey, there's, there's going to be a better day at the end of this, just weather the storm, but it's, uh, my life is happier and I, I feel better than I ever have. So, and you you've accomplished that then with a, sort of a combination of what I'll call Western medicine, which would be Remicade mm-hmm. and, uh, and then the, the sort of Eastern approach to health, which is, I'm assuming you're trying to stay away from inflammatory foods like grains mm-hmm. and, and then you're taking the CBD oil. That's right. Uh, daily, weekly. I take, I take it daily. Mm-hmm. Uh, I take a hundred milligrams daily. Mm-hmm. And that's just from a dropper and you're that's using the Charlotte's web brand, the CW hemp. That's right. That's right. And then, you know, to anyone that wanted to start taking it, I would just caution them that, just because something is available on the shelves does, doesn't mean that there's no THC in it. And they, right. they make an isolate, like a CBD isolate, and they make uh, a whole plant extract uh, that, although legal, will have very trace amounts of THC that can accumulate and show up on a drug test. So mm-hmm. if um, you know, people should just be aware of that. Here in Virginia, I think it's pretty highly regulated. I'd be surprised if you can walk into the store and buy something with uh, with THC in it. Uh, uh, but it, and then again, um, and that's going to vary. I don't even want to get into that because it's going to vary from place to place. You know, in Colorado, it's wide open. Uh, I'm sure in other states now where they've legalized recreational marijuana. Uh, but but what we're having here is is you're not feeling better because of some sort of high. You're feeling better because there's a receptor in your body that is 
using the um, uh, the CBD in a way that reduces inflammation. Exactly. Right. Trying to break it down to its its simplest elements. That's um, right. And and yeah. we can put links in the show notes to all of this. Well, look, um, uh, Ryan, I'm I'm really glad you came on and and that you've shared this and you sent me some links and I'll I'll put those in the show notes and I've got some more reading to do. Um, but as as we part ways, then somebody's listening to this and they're seeing that hope that we talk about. What would be the first thing that you would suggest that somebody do to kind of follow your path? I'd say, that, well, a few things. Um, you, you have to get your mind right. You have, you have to think positively. And it, it's hard to do when you're in that miserable, scared, dark place. But you, you, you have to somehow get through that and say, hey, I'm going to roll with the punches. I'm going to take what, what comes to me and, and I'm going to meet it head on and do whatever I can do to, to beat it. And, you know, there, there are things that we can do. And we kind of talked about the, the diet and, and things like that. So that's first. Secondly, um, you know, if, if you, I, I recommend a functional medicine doctor to anybody. Um, you know, I think you, you go after the gut, get that in shape. I think that's a, a fundamental part of our underlying health. I think you, uh, you know, take action to reduce overall inflammation in your body. Mind the omega-3, omega-6, omega-3 ratio. Um, yeah, I think you, I, I highly recommend CBD. You know, people should read about it, ask their own doctors, make, make their own decisions. But I think it's been very effective for me. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to continue taking that and then find the, the diet that works for you. You know, my, my wife and I, you know, my wife, uh, she, she received her certification from the Institute of Integrative Nutrition. Um, she's, uh, starting her practice, nourished by Lindsay at gmail.com. You know, you can reach out to her or some other health coach to learn, you know, people don't know. And we eat foods and cook foods that are very good, you know, good tasting, wholesome foods, you, you know, eating healthy isn't always eating like a rabbit. You know, there's, I think finding ways that you can have a healthy, sustainable diet uh, that, that, you know, it's about the lifestyle. It's, it's, you know, we have changed my lifestyle. We've changed our cooking habits. We've changed the staples in our, our kitchen and, and cabinets. And, you know, I think some people need help with that. And, um, you know, we're, we're learning new things every day. So I think getting the help where you need it. All right. We'll put a link to your wife's contact information as well uh, in the, in the show notes. That's Lindsay. Say it again. Nourished by Lindsay. Lindsay at gmail.com. That's right. There's a bunch of different ways to spell Lindsay with an A or with an E and so forth. So um, just just go ahead and send me the uh, the link and I'll put that in the show notes if people want to contact her. Sure. So all right. Well, thank um, you, John. Yep. Thank you, Ryan. I really appreciate it. I'm sure the listeners appreciate it. And uh We'll just, uh, I, I intend to proceed with some of this. I want to give it a shot. So thank you so much. All right. Thank you.
Ryan makes some really, really good points. Now, I've said before, if if someone would just tell me to eat nothing but kale uh, or stop eating wheat or, you know, or whatever, I would do it if I thought it would work, if there was any evidence behind that. And just give me some direction where I'm not sort of blindly following the latest media reports uh, and pop culture feelings about whatever it is. You know, you know, we, we hear all these things about caffeine or movie popcorn and, you know, these things come and then they go and, and you know, you don't know if it's, if it's real or if somebody just did a study and had a really good publicist. But whatever, if someone told me just stop eating everything but kale and you're going to feel a lot better, I would do it. So um, here's Ryan showing up and, and he's got, he's got some, some good points. And I'll tell you that I've heard from nurses and others in the medical field that doctors are not the best people to give dietary advice. It, to me, it seems like they would be the best, but I've heard over and over uh, in my own experience that doctors, you know, they tend to, to specialize in whatever they specialize in and they focus on the medicines that they're familiar with. And when you say, well, can I eat any better? Can I exercise more? And they tend to say, well, keep exercising. That's good. And I, you know, I don't think your diet's going to make any difference. And I'm sorry. I just think it does. I mean, at least they should tell me, stop drinking sugary sodas, you know, or, you know, the big gulp at the 7-Eleven or whatever, which I don't do. But uh, you would think at least a doctor would tell somebody that, but I don't hear that. So at any rate, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm getting off track, but I think Ryan make some really good points. Now, I'm going to tell you that Ryan's wife, Lindsay, as I mentioned before the interview, and he mentioned also, is recently certified as a holistic nutritionist. And she and I have now exchanged some emails. And I do plan to talk to her a bit more to see if this is an area where I can continue my fight and feel better. Uh, I have a feeling that I may never taste pizza again. And that makes me sad. But I'm going to talk to Lindsay and see see where that road takes me. So in the meantime, if you're listening, uh, if you've got some thoughts, if you've had some success or lack of success with nutrition or another product, another drug, another therapy, uh, or you just want to tell your story, send me an email. It's in the show notes, carlinagency at gmail.com. Also, please follow The Sark Fighter on Instagram. And I've also got a Facebook page. And I just try to keep people current on, on different things there. So please uh, help me uh, expand that so we can extend the reach of the podcast. And thanks again to Ryan for joining me here today. And I'll let you know how I progress with the holistic diet should I decide to pull the trigger on that. Until next time, keep fighting. Learn to suffer, you feel pain someday. Learn endurance, your strength will fade. Trying to keep up the pain